CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. We are back yet again talking CFL football here. And football is just around the corner. It is Friday, May 25th, the CFL preseason kicking off. And two days from now... Much excitement all around, training camps going on, preseason is on the way, very exciting time of the year for CFL fans as, of course, a bunch of other sports wrap up, the NHL wrapping up the soon, the NBA wrapping up soon, and the CFL is just beginning, and there's a lot to talk about. Uh, to do so, uh, let's bring in Michael Garrell. Mike, how are you? Not too terrible, bad. Not not too terrible, bad. That doesn't sound exactly a glowing review of how you're doing. Well, I'm doing as well as could be expected. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, excited for the CFL preseason starting this weekend? No offense, Ryan. I've been set to this CFL week, you know, preview week and all this kind of stuff. It's all fine and dandy, but I think it's about time we start talking actual football games. Yeah, I agree with you because we can talk about how these teams look on paper all year long, but until they hit the football field and we see how ever all of these pieces fit together, well I I mean we're we're making up storylines basically from whatever we can, from what we think is going to happen. I'm excited to get to a point now where we see it happening out on the field and could talk about that. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw any of the media poll that came out yesterday. I did, yes. How so many people disrespect the Blue Bombers just baffles me. Yeah, I I was a little bit surprised. I think uh, looking at that poll, I could probably pull it up here and we can take a look at it. Um but, uh, yeah, looking at that poll, the Bombers definitely not one of those teams that was looked at as a favorite, uh, despite, I think, them performing pretty well last year. Only five out of the 73 voters voted that they would win the West Division, which I, I, I think I, I think it's fair to not go and necessarily say the Bombers will win the division. How they got that many less votes than Calgary, Edmonton, and Saskatchewan, that I don't agree with, because... I look at it as a West division in the CFL where all of these teams are on a pretty even foot right now. Can you read me, Ryan, the votes for the top three? Uh, 23 votes for Calgary. Uh, so they were picked as the team most likely to win the West division. The Eskimos had 22 votes. The Riders had 21. Uh, the Bombers with five votes and the BC Lions with two. Okay, so that top three as currently constructed by that vote is literally people interchanging parts, basically. Right. With, which leads me to believe 
But most people assume, under the correct assumption, that the West will be that tight, and it's really anybody's ball game. Yeah, the degree of separation, I think, between the Bombers and the Lions is a bit unrealistic, but then again, I also see it as, right, Calgary's always going to get votes as a team to win the West Division. Mm -hmm. Edmonton has been a very good football team the last couple of years. They have MOP Mike Riley, who's looking as good as ever. Grey Cup's Mm -hmm. in Edmonton. You're going to get a lot of votes for the Edmonton Eskimos. Saskatchewan, we all know Saskatchewan is at the focal point of the CFL. Um, the riders and along with that, to their credit of uh, the product on the football field, had a very strong year last year and brought in a lot of great pieces in the offseason. So I can definitely see them taking that step as well. So I, I get why these three teams got the number of votes they did to be at the top of the West Division. Uh, I'm a little surprised that maybe the Bombers didn't get a couple more and to their credit, the BC Lions as well. You know, and I think honestly that this poll was taken I I can't remember the remember the day period as to when the votes were cast. Now that obviously doesn't take into consideration uh, the big news that the bombers had last week, I don't think. Um that there was constructed between May fourteenth and twenty first. Yeah, so it would have been before the big uh, and a big tail sign-in, which we'll get into. But I, I think a lot of this poll, to be honest with you, Ryan, is a lot of uh, media people going, what have you done for me lately, based on what have you done in the last couple of years as a franchise? And I, I really don't believe that you know, this is something to get all bent out of shape about. And obviously, and I've heard from a lot of Bauer fans who are a little bit annoyed, shall we say, about the lack of respect that the Bombers are given. I'll tell you what, I would much rather give everybody else on paper Whatever they want, whatever awards, whatever preseason projections, and then just let the Bombers come in and and do the talking when the football gets kicked off on June 14th. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. Um, You you know, we've got this poll here, and uh, we we obviously didn't get a chance to vote in this poll, but I, I think it would be interesting for us to go through and you know, as if we were to vote in this poll here, Mike, uh, which team do you have winning the West Division in the CFL? Saskatchewan. So you you agree. Why, why Saskatchewan? I just like what they did toward the end of last year. Um, I think, and it's along with a couple of other, um, along with one other team, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, later on, if they would have had a little bit more time, they would have probably had a better record than they had. And the astonishing thing for me, not that Saskatchewan had a bad season by any means, but they didn't really have a proven quarterback, as you'll recall. But they did that with, for the vast majority of the time, Brandon Bridge. 
I believe Brandon Bridge and I ended with Kevin Glenn. Yeah, they had the rotation. Glenn would start a game, so, Bridge would come in and play mop-up, and it continued all all along. So, basically, Saskatchewan did what they did with a lot of question marks at the most important position on the field. Now, not necessarily a lot of turnover, but they bring in some fairly significant guys. And now they've got a proven quarterback that they're hoping just had a down year and by all accounts has had a really good camp. I just, like for me, the Ryder D-line and the O-line scared a you-know-what out of me. Yeah, you know what? And and I'll actually agree with you here. I'll take the Riders to win the West Division as well because you mentioned the quarterback situation it remains to be seen, will Caleros have a bounce-back year this year? He certainly has a lot of weapons at his disposal in order to do so. Uh, at running back, uh, that was a bit of a carousel for them last season as well, partially due to injury, but uh, you've got Jerome Messam there, uh, an outstanding running back for them. The wide receivers are as good as ever. They've got a solid offensive line. They brought in Travis Bond among you know, the group they brought in this offseason. Um, defensive can, can you imagine... Just trying to run through over 700 pounds <laughs> of muscle and offensive line. Like, like, that is just, like, that's frightening. Yeah, and you look at the defensive line for Saskatchewan as well. Willie Jefferson was so good for them last year. Now he's got Charleston Hughes on the other side. I, I mean, this, this is going to be a good defensive line for the Riders. Defensive backfield, they've still got some great guys there. You know, Ed Ganey, I'm interested to see if he can, you know, rack up interceptions at the pace he did last year. Um, linebacker position, the middle linebacker is still kind of my question mark for the Riders because, uh, you know, they made the swap. They let go Henok Muamba in the offseason. They brought back Sam Hurl over from the Bombers. I think that was a bit of a downgrade there, but overall, I think this is a very well-built Riders football team, and Chris Jones, Chris Jones knows how to build a defense, so uh, I, I'm not too concerned about the defense, and I'm interested to see how the offense does. And, and I think, to be honest with you, uh, Ryan, I believe that as long as Calgary didn't think that, you know, Jerome Massive all of a sudden has hit it, Hit his expiration date as far as running backs go. You know how they say, you know, the front end of the third is you kind of, you know, you kind of start to see the drop off. The favorite would scare me is a very motivated Jerome Massim. Right. Because if you if you do that, countered with Talaros, countered with the offensive weapons, there is no reason, Ryan why this is an offense that can't put up 30-plus points consistently. Well, and, and I mean, this is Jerome Messam's job at running back here. You look at the guys the Riders had last year. Uh, you know, Keenan LaFrance off to the Bombers in the offseason. Brought in Marcus Thigpen late that season. He's, I believe, suspended for two games for violating yep. CFL's drug policy. Uh, they just put running back Trent Richardson on the suspended list. Not sure what's happening with him yet. Uh, they, released, they released running he back. Was, he was put on the suspended list because he was a no-show at camp. Gotcha. Um, and then released running back Cameron Marshall. So, I mean, this is this is uh, Jerome Messam's job. No one's taking it from him here in Saskatchewan. I don't think anyone would anyways, but 
that being said, you know, uh, definitely an opportunity for him to succeed there with uh, with all the other weapons out there on offense. Looking at the East Division, Mike, uh, which team will win the East Division was the next question in the CFL's media poll. Uh, who is your favorite to win the East? Well, who's my favorite, or who do I think he's going to win? Uh, well, isn't that not the same thing? Well, kind of and kind of not, right? I mean, I would answer the question one of two ways. I believe uh, Hamilton will finish first in the East, but it'll be very closely followed, if not within one game of each other either way. I believe this is between uh, Hamilton and Toronto. I'm just going back and forth on who will finish first. Yeah, I'll take the Argos in a close battle there. I I think just, you know, another year of Mark Trestman um, and the work he's doing there. They bring in Anthony Calvillo as a quarterback coach, you know. And, And this year, Ricky Ray has backup. Where that was the big question last year is okay they go on to win the Grey Cup but uh, the big thing is what happened what would have happened if Ricky Ray got injured for more than a game last year really didn't we saw in that one game that you know he wasn't in there that he really didn't have that strength behind him now they've got uh, now they've got Franklin in there from Edmonton last year so they have a solid backup in case anything goes wrong there they loaded up at defensive back at linebacker that defense is going to be incredible in Toronto this year. I like the Argos. Uh, I also really love everything Hamilton's done so far mm-hmm. um, and the momentum from last year that they're going to build off of. So I think it's going to be close, but I think the Argos win the East Division. Now, the crazy thing to me here, Mike, looking at the votes in this poll, 75% of people that voted voted that the Argos would win the East Division. Yeah, that's based on... well. I'm going to say this, and I and I don't want to come across, you know, as offending any, any team of the remaining uh, Eastern Division teams, but the way you look at it, you know, Toronto is the safe pit right. for basically yeah. everybody. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. You, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from Montreal. They're expected to be better. But some of the things that I'm hearing in Montreal, Ottawa, again, some question marks. Does it have first place written on it? Probably not. And then, of course, it's, it's you know, the old Toronto-Hamilton uh, flip-flop that I'm still kind of going back and forth on. And, you know, we they, quite honestly, Hamilton, and, and I could probably tell where a lot of people um, chose Toronto, not only are they the safe pit, they're the smart pit when it comes to uh, what they have as far as quarterbacks. You know, this year we're going to see, uh, just to bring Hamilton into this, Jeremiah Mazzoli, his first year at the number one. He's the guy. Everybody's steaming up on Jeremiah Mazzoli. Let's see how that works for him. Yeah. Then you have the extreme wild card in Johnny Manziel, who by all accounts is at a really good last three days of camp. And there's people out there suggesting that by Labor Day, Johnny Manziel will be the number one quarterback in Hamilton. Well, so, 
you know, just the the product of the unknown of, you know, yes, there's a guy that's been around him as only, but how does he react to being the guy? Right. Yeah, that, that, this is my, you know, I, I was looking through, looking at preseason starting here and the season starting soon. I was really looking at trying to think for each team here, like, who is the guy I want to focus, you, you want to be watching? And to me, it's not Johnny Manziel. It's Jeremiah Mazzoli, his first year as a starter. And you know, with all of the hype around Mr. Manziel behind him, Every little piece of his play for Jeremiah Mazzoli is going to be scrutinized yeah. this year because you're going to have people, the second he messes up, the second he throws an untimely interception, we want Johnny, we want Johnny to be able to see him out there on the field. And uh, I, I think there's a ton of pressure on Jeremiah Mazzoli this year, and I'm interested to see how he performs under it. I, I wonder if, you know, and of course, Hindsight being twenty twenty, you're not gonna turn away a guy like Johnny Mandel if you want to sign with your team. But I wonder if ultimately that will be the undoing of Hamill. How so? If if just just what you said, right? Putting unwarranted pressure on you know Jeremiah Mazzoli. Jeremiah Mazzoli, as of a week ago, went in as the undisputed number one starter in Hamilton, no questions asked. And I still think he is, personally. And I, absolutely, rightfully so. But now all of a sudden, and I've never been a professional athlete, so I wouldn't know this, but all of a sudden you get that little mindset, right? Oh, no, there's a guy looking over my shoulder, right? Right. Like All of a sudden, you know what? Hey, I'm being pushed, right? Whether it's that number of sets or number of seven receiver that's looking for a spot in the in the top, in the in the five receivers, same as the quarterback, right? Oh no, there's another quarterback, you know, breathing down my neck, right? Right. So I think that Jeremiah Mazzoli's um, spot to have, and and it should be, but I think it's also going to be Jeremiah Mazzoli's spot to lose very very quickly if things don't go well, and I hope. For Hamilton's sake, but we don't see Johnny Mandel on the football field because all of a sudden, all of this offseason talk about, you know, giving, giving uh, Mazzoli number one starter's money is basically an afterthought if in week seven, eight, and nine, you're going to a guy who basically signed with you the day before. Uh, training camp started, and all of a sudden everybody just on his bandwagon. Mike, I'll ask you a question here that's not actually in the media pool, but uh, we've seen the West Division dominate the East Division many times over the last several years. Does that continue this year, or is the East finally more competitive? It's more competitive, but again, I, I, if you ask me realistically, I, I still think there'll be a crossover. I, I would agree with you, yeah. Just look at this. Number one, there's an extra team in the West compared to the East. That that's already imbalance. And then I hate to pick on Ottawa, but for me right now, they're the team on the outside looking in. Who do you like better over an 18 game season roster wise? 
Ottawa or one of Saskatchewan, Calgary, Edmonton, or Winnipeg? What about BC? And BC, too. I'm not discounting them from this conversation, but I think BC is not on that upper echelon. They're a little bit of the stuff below. Uh, rightfully so, because of the unknown of the rebound of uh, Jonathan Jennings and the question marks about getting Travis Lule up to help. Yeah, no, but... The- yeah, to answer your question there, though, I, I think right now, just on paper, I'd take any team out west over the Ottawa Red Blacks. Big question for me, and I realize once the season starts, it's probably not even going to be a question, is the wide receiver position for the Red Blacks, because they let some guys go that we talked about on the last episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Deontay Spencer, Greg Ellingson, Brad Sinopoli, those are three outstanding wide receivers. Those are the, really the only guys that got playing time last year f- at the wide receiver position for them that are back this year. So you're going to have an extra guy or two in there this year. Um, I'm interested to see you know, how they're going to step in. Um, but yeah, no, I think the West Division, just roster-wise, just comparing them, I like a lot of the teams better than I do the Red Blacks this year. And it's no knock against Ottawa's roster. I think they'll be competitive again this year. Um I, I just like the way the West stacks up a little better. Here's the thing to note uh, as well. And, and you know, we, we talked about um, competitive balance and all that. I do not see the Montreal Alouettes going 3-15 and 15 again. No, I don't either. I, I just can't. So I, I, then, I at least hope not, because that was painful to watch, even as you know, a Bomber fan, as any fan around the league, not just people in Montreal, and I can only imagine how painful it was for them. But as Bomber fans, I think we can sympathize with that. Because prior to this Walter O'Shea Miller era, that was the Blue Bombers. Right. But anyway, that being said, so I'm just wondering if, if we assume... 3-15 and 15 Montreal to be a little bit better. My other question becomes, let's say they're 6-12 and 12 or 7-11, and 11, something like that, and I think that is a little bit on the high end, 6-12 and 12 and 5-11. and 11. I, I think 5-13 five, five and 13 might be more reasonable for Montreal. Uh, something to break quality, 6 and 6 and 12, 7 and 11. Who and where do those extra wins come from? Are they in division or are they against Western Division teams? Because if they're against Western Division teams, all of a sudden you open that door a little bit for the crossover to maybe become more of a challenge. Right. For lack of a better term. But if you if you have Montreal at three and fifteen, one suggests that would be more wins for the West Division, therefore making the crossover more likely. So my question is if Montreal and I hope they don't finish three and fifteen, the other question is where do those extra wins come from? Yeah. And if if they're against Western Division teams, man alive, I'll tell you what, Montreal didn't have a big say in how that West Division finishes off. 
Because all of a sudden, then nobody the freeze fun on the bingo card. That, that's a great analogy. I love it. Um, looking at, next question on the list, we're actually going to skip this one, Mike, because the next question is who will win the 106th Grey Cup in Edmonton this year? That's one we're going to save for when we do our season preview show. Uh, just be- just before the regular season starts, but uh, looking at the results here, um, tw- 17 votes Edmonton, 16 Calgary, 16 Saskatchewan, 11 Toronto, 9 Winnipeg, and then it really drops down. Two for the Lions, one for the Ticats, one for the Alouettes, and the Ottawa Red Blacks did not get a single vote. Kind of interesting. Yeah, but what I gather from that, is that they think that the West is going to be superiorly better than that of the East again. Right, yeah. Because besides the Argos, the East makes up a whole 2% of the votes. I wish they would have released this, to be honest with you. The voter demographic. I understand I understand that a lot of people across Canada voted in this thing. I just want to see the distribution, and I don't care who voted. I just want to see the vote distribution between West and East. Right. These the numbers almost seem skewed, like most of the votes came from a West division. That or, you know, just the Western dominance for so many years, even people out East. Like, you can't deny that the West has dominated during the regular season. That being said, during the Grey Cup, the East has won the last two Grey Cups. So it's a very interesting dynamic in the CFL. And, and here it is. It, it, it's, it's so interesting because that is one of the dynamics of football. Football is a one-off. It's not a best of seven. I think if you have even a best of three or a best of five Grey Cup, the West would win because they are the better team history would suggest. But in a one-game playoff, all bets are off. Right. And we saw that in the Grey Cup this past year, where Calgary, even in the Grey Cup, was the better team for the majority of the game. And it really came down to blunders on three separate plays in a way that, you know, Toronto ended up winning the Grey Cup. Again, it's you allow a team to hang around, they just need that one big play and all the momentum is on their side. So, Mike, the next question on our poll here that I am going to get your answer for is, who do you think will be the most outstanding player in 2018 in the CFL? Well, I really believe that it could very well be a a repeat of, you know, 2017 uh, in Mike Riley, but I don't want to sell out Singleton short either. Ooh, that's a good choice. Um yeah, Mike Riley won in 2017. The last person to win in two straight years was Mr. Anthony Calvillo. Uh, I think Riley does it again this year. I agree with you, and I agree with the majority of pe- the CFL media because 35% of people voted for Mike Riley to win MOP this year. Uh, can, I, can I suggest a wild card to all of that? Sure. James Wilder. Yeah, he got 19% of the votes, uh, tied Bo Levi Mitchell second in the voting, with uh, Zach Caleros finishing fourth with 5% of the votes. Yeah, see, I, I I have no doubt that, again, we're going to have a Western-crowded ballot. And this is where it's almost too bad that all the... 
Uh, voting is east-west because I really believe that that obscures your true uh, measurement, if you will, of the two best in the lead, right? When you look at, you know, usually when you look at lead awards, and I don't want to nitpick, but I, I just have to bring this up. When you look at, East-West, it's not necessarily the two best. It's the two best in your division. and or The two be- the best in your division going up for a lead award. That, that is really the unfortunate part because I would really love to see a vote where, you know, even last year, right, you have the vote between, and there's no not against Ricky Ray whatsoever, keep this in mind. But I'd like to see the vote between Mike Riley and a guy like Alex Singleton. Yeah. Or Mike, Ry- or Mike Riley and whoever the Bomber nominee was, whose name escapes me right now. I-, I feel that in some cases, for some awards, the East-West really restricts. Um, it's not necessarily best on best. It's It's really... Division best on division best. Yeah, and I actually like that you bring up Alex Singleton as, you know, a candidate because he's such a dominant defender, so fun to watch out on the field. I think he's definitely a guy that could win most outstanding player. I'll give you another nominee that's not talked about here that I think has a shot, and that's Brandon Banks. He's a guy, second half of the season last year was what arguably one of the best, if not the best player in the CFL. I think James Wilder was the best in the CFL in the second half of the season. But Brandon Banks played lights out. He had a rough start to the year. He had like a 1,000 yards in the final half of the season. I I think Brandon Banks is a guy who, if he can put that to a full season, he's going to win MOP. Yeah, and again, it's going to come down to... And I, and I hate to bring this up to the, especially in a guy like his position, it's going to come down to can his quarterbacks get him the ball enough to give him that opportunity. You know what I mean? Right. Brandon Paints is a multifaceted player, which I think makes this really intriguing. That if Brandon Banks can have another big year on special teams, get around twelve fifty to fourteen to maybe way too high, but fifteen hundred yards, something like that. He for sure needs a thousand yard season to be considered. Yeah, I think he's up for it. I think if you heard my interview with him. In CFL week, he certainly seemed motivated, but he needs the reason these awards more often than not go to a quarterback is because the quarterback puts up the big numbers. Can Brandon Banks in that receiving core put up enough receiving yards combined with the special team work to get uh, the nominee? number one, and then get enough votes from everybody else to win the whole thing. 
this uh, this next category here, Mike, is uh, one that's a little more, I think, wide open. Because when you talk about who's going to win MOP, well, it's easy to look at the guys who are consistently to the top in the league. But the next question here is, which player is most likely to have a breakout season in 2017-2018? Oh, boy. Well, breakout season based on what? However, you, however you define it. Well, first year in the lead, or no, not necessarily. Really had a really down twenty seventeen, and will have a bit of a rebound twenty eighteen. Because if it's had a really dead, had a really down seventeen, and and will have a really good rebound, a couple players come to mind. Well, we do have a later question about who will have a ba- the best bounce back year. So. Make of that what you will. I think there definitely was still in the uh, media vote on this question. There was some of that consideration, though. But uh, I'll, I'll give you my pick here if you want a second to think about it. I'm going. Okay. I'm going off the board. Uh, yeah, I have I have about three guys in my mind right now. Yeah, so it looks like there were 25, uh, 25 guys that received one or two votes, uh, and then uh, a couple guys here that received more than, than that. Uh, but one guy I'm going with is my breakout player this year, wide receiver for the Calgary Stampeders, Reggie Bagleton. Because, you know, things are looking different in Calgary this year. Bowie by Mitchell's shoulders were led to be good, believe is good now. Did uh, you see... Did you happen to see that he dropped twenty pounds? I did not. No. Oh, maybe I heard that. He he dropped something like twenty pounds and looks better than last year. I would suggest. Yeah, I'm expecting a strong year from Bowie by Mitchell. Uh, things have changed at the wide receiver position for the Calgary Stampeders. Absolutely. Uh, most notably, Markway McDaniel not a member of the Stampeders anymore. Actually, not even a member of the CFL anymore, as he is officially retired from. The CFL. Uh, this is crazy. Yeah, I, I, you know, things things look different in Calgary this year. There's no doubt about it. I loved what I saw from Bagleton near the end of the year last year. I thought there were some flashes from him, and I think he's going to shine in this offense just like Mark and Michelle did last year for the Stampeders, who I'm also expecting another big year from. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Uh... Very interesting discussion, for sure. Uh, for me, I have a couple guys in mind. Okay. Uh, number one, a guy that did not play in the CFL last year, but will have a big impact this year, is Adam Bate here when I want to play Blue Bombers. Okay. I think he has, a, he has a propensity to really push that bomber defense over the top. A guy to me that I, I really want to see have success, and as such, I believe his team will have success, is Jonathan Jennings. I think I want to see him get back uh, to the level that I saw two years ago from him. Uh, last year was really, I don't even know what to make of last year. I think a lot of it was his offensive line and the seemingly uh, changeover that they had there. And the third guy that I would really expect uh, to have a bounce back year or a breakout year, breakout is a, a little different than a bounce back, but well, bounce back, breakout. They they is, could be the same, yeah. They could be the same, basically breakout. But you don't necessarily have had to have had a bad year in order to have a breakout. I would say. 
and this is the guy that I, I don't even know why people are probably going to give me hats for putting this guy on the list, but I have to go with Mr. Consistent for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Justin Medloff. Going to have a breakout season? A breakout season and just keep doing what he's been doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would argue against that, Mike, that it's hard to have a breakout season when you historically are, you know, the most accurate kicker in CFL history. Um, some of the other guys, you know, I mentioned Reggie Bagleton. Uh, some of the other guys that did get uh, the most votes here. Oh, this is the guy I originally wanted. Now it came back to me. Okay. Chris Williams. Okay. In Montreal. That's the guy. Bounce back year for Chris Williams. Yeah, I, I really think you know he was he was hampered with with injury last year and the whole set of unfortunate circumstances. I believe the new start in Montreal was turbo well. Um. So yeah. So the answers here uh, or the responses given for uh, who's most likely to have a breakout season in 2018: Zach Caleros uh, and Bryant Mitchell of the Edmonton Eskimos uh, tied for seven votes. Mitchell. Showed flashes last year with Edmonton. Didn't get a whole lot of playing time uh, down the stretch. Terry Williams is now the starting running back for the Calgary Stampeders. I think myself, along with a lot of people, are expecting him to have a breakout year this year. Ooh. Terry Williams, the starting running back of the Calgary Stampeders. He, uh, he he was the third string last year behind Messam, behind Roy Finch. He got in a couple games, had over 100 yards rushing in one of them. Um I, I'm expecting big things from Terry Williams this year as he takes over the starting role in Calgary. Well, talk about a change of fortune, right? Yeah. To go, go from number three on the depth chart to uh, basically that guy. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, moving, uh, other guys that, uh, that got votes here, Nick Dembski with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think he could have a strong season this year. Uh, he is the guy, the number one Canadian receiver for the Bombers. Uh, running back Alex Green and Hamilton, I think could have an, I, I agree here. He got three votes, could have a strong breakout year. Um, you know, he, it's not the CJ Gable show in Hamilton anymore. It's Al- it's Alex Green's chance to shine, and he showed flashes when he was given the ball. Uh, June Jones has shown a lot more than you, the Ticats used to, the willingness to run the ball, and I think that's only going to uh, bode well for uh, Alex Green. Absolutely. And then uh, Kamar Jordan with three votes and James Wilder Jr. with three votes, so... Those are two guys who have definitely had good seasons. I think uh, people are just expecting a little more uh, to come from them this season. Next question, Mike. Looking at the overall moves this offseason, we've spent a lot of time talking about the things done this offseason. Which team made the best offseason moves? Oh, boy. I have a tie right now between Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. Well, I'll tell you this. The uh, the Riders got 38% of the votes, uh, double as much as the second-place team. Um, I agree with that. I think the Riders definitely did. Uh, they got themselves a quarterback in Coleros. They you know brought in Charleston Hughes, made that defensive line look real good. I like what the Riders did. I also love a lot of what the Bombers did, especially now that they brought in Adam Big Hill. 
you know very much how excited I was to hear that news um, because the middle linebacker question was my main question still for the Bombers. I actually agree with the team that got the second most number of votes here, though, perhaps, Mike, and that's the Montreal Alouettes. This is a team that, for all intents and purposes, you know, was hardly ever in a game last season. They only won three of them. Um, they made a lot of moves this offseason. That's going to make them a competitive football team out on the field, and I like the way they went about it. You know, Rome wasn't built overnight, and the Montreal Alouettes rebuild won't be one year, but I'll, t- I'll give them that. It was a great start. Uh, the uh, the riders so the riders get thirty eight percent of the votes the Alouettes uh, nineteen the Argos eleven percent they went and really built up that defense people like what the BC Lions did um, you know they they really shored up that offensive line in BC uh, the Bombers finishing middle of the pack with ten uh, percent of the votes the Tie Cats with eight percent. And not too many people, uh, the Red Blacks and the Eskimos, only getting one vote each. Uh, they didn't particularly, I think, either of those teams go out and do something to really improve their team this year. They, I think they brought in pieces to replace the ones they lost, but I don't know if either of those teams got better, so to say. Yep. Um, so we talked about the teams overall. How about which one player acquisition will make the biggest impact on their team this year? Which guy acquired will have the largest impact on their team's play? Travis Bonds is that one. Why? I think he just made the rider offensive line but had some question marks uh, last year. That much better. And I believe we got a quarterback that, you know, made them better. A running back that made them better. Um, but I believe the one single fits was, you know, that offensive line, they, they found a way to, I guess, replace Derek Dennis, who literally was a highly sought-after free agent, which, you know, never really panned out. And, and they did a nice job of replacing that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good choice. Offensive line getting some respect from Mr. Mike over there. Uh, not too often offensive linemen are uh, are heralded as the biggest, uh, you know, impact acquisition in the offseason. Um, I'm actually going to go to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers here, and I'm going to a guy that didn't get any votes in this poll, presumably because he wasn't brought in before a lot of these people voted, and that's Adam Big Hill at the middle linebacker position. Yeah, that... The the vote was in after the Bait Hill. Uh, sorry, the vote was in before the Bait Hill signing. I think there were two days left in the poll, but uh, hard to tell uh, who how many people had submitted it before then. Um, definitely Big Hill, though. The Earlier on in the offseason, Kyle Walters brought in all of these pieces at the defensive back position for the Bombers, which really shored that up. There was big questions still at middle linebacker. Adam Big Hill is about as good of an acquisition as you can make at that position. Not only his his high level of play, it's his leadership, it's his versatility to be able to play all over the defense. I just think it's going to make such a difference for the Bombers to have Adam Big Hill there. Yeah, and, and you know, the one thing is, and we always talk about it, you know, you can't... Um, 
you can't underestimate or I guess guess the value of solid leadership. Yeah. And if nothing else, Adam Hill will help the Blue Bomber defense do something I don't think they did particularly well last year, and that is communication. I believe that, you know, people expose the Bombers for big plays, Exhibit A being, you know, West Division semifinal. How many big plays cost the Bombers that game? I believe that the big plays will be minimized or somewhat cut down because now I believe we have a physical freak in the middle of the defense that will help and make some teams double think how they scheme against this Blue Bomber defense. I'll I'll go and say this. Kyle Walters has done everything he possibly could to bring in all the pieces that the Bombers need on defense this offseason. If you want to talk about the guy I'm most focusing on for the Bombers in the preseason as and as the season starts, it's none of the players out on the field. It's it's on the sidelines. It's Richie Hall uh, because he has every piece he needs to go and put together a winning defense out on the field. And there are a lot of questions regarding his defensive scheme uh, after last season. Kyle Walters has done his part to bring in the personnel. Now the big question is, Richie Hall, it's your turn. Can you go out there and put these pieces together effectively? Yeah, Ryan, I agree with that, right? It's like you can bring in all the shiny new toys you want, but if you don't use them properly, they're of no use. So for me, the microscope is 100% on Richie Hall. And if things don't start well, well, you're not going to start you know, releasing and and making changes to some pretty substantial guys that you brought in. Now it's kind of like, okay, you know what? I've done my job, if you're Kyle Walters, and now it's like, okay, now you actually have to do something because there's no excuses. You cannot make the, oh, I didn't have the personnel excuse. You know what I mean? Right. You are, you have multifaceted guys, and Adam Bidhill is exhibit A. I have guys that you can basically play multiple positions that are good at playing multiple positions on, you know, your defense. Find a way to make it work or get out of the way. That's the way I see it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great way to put it, Mike. Uh, moving on here, uh, your prediction, who leads the league in receiving yards in 2018? Wow. Rushing yards is coming next, by the way. Okay. Um, that one's a little bit easier. Do you want to uh, start with, do you want to start with rushing yards while you take time to think? Uh, no. Um, yeah, I'm going to need some time to think about it. Okay, well, let's start with rushing yards. Who do you think is leading the league in rushing yards in 2018? James Wilder Jr. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, 100%. So dominant second half of the season last year. 
He has a whole season this year, and I'm really excited to see what he can do. And I'm excited to see him put the whole offseason controversy uh, surrounding him and whether he'd be playing this year or not. I'm excited to see him put that behind himself. Uh, is, there a, is there a possibility in your mind, granted everything goes wild, granted he plays a lot of games, does he have a realistic shot at 2,000 yards? 2,000 rushing yards? Uh, I, I think that's tough. Um, you got to do over a hundred yards a game, basically on average in order to do that. Um, okay. What if I brought that number conservatively down a little bit to say 1650? Yeah, I would say he has a shot or 1700. I'll ask you this. A lot of talk last year was on Andrew Harrison, the thousand thousand, right? The thousand yards rushing thousand yards receiving. Who's more likely to achieve that this year, James Wilder or Andrew Harris? Harris. Why? Just prove, just based on track record. And, no, I, I agree that, you know, Andrew Harris, to me, has the more physical build of a guy that can line up as a receiver and as a running back. And, quite frankly, I've seen more of Andrew Harris than I have of James Wilder. So I might just be making a blind, a blind guess here. But... To me, it's Andrew Harris. Uh, the interesting thing was, and I don't know if we caught this today, uh, was Tim Flanders suggesting that he wanted to try the 500-500. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I think you'll be a little hard-pressed to do that. Uh... Well, because here's my thing, right? I thought this whole notion idea was to allow Flanders to line up as your slot back, you know, inside receiver, tight end. I don't even know what the discussion was at the end of last year. For me, the whole assumption was Keenan LaFrance batting up Andrew Harris. I don't know how Timothy Flanders, if Andrew Harris is going for the 1,000-1,000, I just don't know if there's enough touches in there and hoping that Andrew Harris doesn't get hurt. I just don't know how he comes up with the number of carries to make 500 yards. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, I agree James Wilder will lead the league in rushing this year. 51% of voters uh, in the media poll uh, said the same thing. Andrew Harris got 23% of the votes, and... uh, William Powell got 10% of the votes. I think William Powell is a dark horse to win that one as well. Yeah, my question in Ottawa, though, is the offensive line, right? Uh, just a little bit there, right? To lead the lead in rushing, to me, Ottawa doesn't exactly strike me as a team that likes to run the ball. I beg to differ. Because I remember that game last year where Ryan, Lin- where Ryan Lindley was the starter, and granted, that's a lot different than when Trevor Harris is healthy and playing a game. But uh, they basically the entire game just gave the ball to William Powell and instead of even throwing the ball. That was that was their key to success, and uh, it was pretty effective. Um, looking at the wide receiver, uh, who's going to lead the league in receiving yards this year? Uh, do, you have a, do you have a vote for that yet, Mike? Somebody on the Eskimos. I don't know who, because I think Mike Riley can have a humongous year passing the ball. Uh, well, you seem to think alike with a lot of people because uh, Darrell Walker ran away with this vote. 
Uh, 46% of people voted for Darrell Walker to lead the league in receiving yards this year. Uh, Deron Carter and SJ Green both got 11%. Greg Ellingson got 10%. Uh, I'm going to go with what I said earlier about Brandon Banks. Uh, Brandon Banks, I think, could definitely lead the league in receiving yards this year. And I'll go with a guy, uh, not Greg Ellingson, but Deontay Spencer. Uh, we saw how effective he was last year. He's going to have a monster year here for the Red Blacks. Is everyone still trying to cover Greg Ellingson? Uh, I think Deontay Spencer could be our leading receiver in 2018. Yeah, here's the interesting, interesting thing quickly. Who leads the Bombers in receiving yards? That's a tough one. I think it's Darvin Adams. I think bringing in a Darius Bowman is going to take some extra heat off of him. Um and, and, you know, having Weston Dressler there, uh, presumably as long as all of these guys can stay healthy, uh, I would say Darvin Adams leads the Bombers in receiving yards this year. I think he's the best receiver on the team. Okay, yeah, no, I I, I won't argue with that. I, I agree. I was just wondering uh, what your thoughts were on that. Uh, put on your GM hat for me here, Mike. Uh, you're the... Leader of an expansion franchise here, uh, you have the your choice to sign any player to be the first player of your team. You can choose from any player in the CFL. Who is it? Alex Singleton. Why? Defense wins championships, and he's the guy that I want to enter in my defense. Um, he did get a couple of votes there. Uh, the poll was overrun wildly by uh, Mike Riley and Bowie by Mitchell, and I tend to agree with that, and I would go with Mike Riley myself. Um, Where would Matt Nichols fit in on your list? Ah, uh, that's a, that's pretty tough to make a list, like, like truly rank everyone on there right now. I don't think he's necessarily at the very top of my list. That being said... I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that have to be at the top of the list because, you know, you're not going to win without a quarterback. So so here, here here's my question. Everybody says, okay, Mike Riley didn't win MOP. Riders are going to have a really good team. The Bombers are going to have a really good team. Are you comfortable in suggesting that the MOP could come potentially from a third-place team in the West Assuming that if the Bombers, and assuming that if the Riders have a better record than Riley and the Eskimos, which would lead me to somewhat believe that perhaps the two other quarterbacks that I just mentioned would have more passing yards, perhaps, than Mike Riley. Are people making the assumption that Edmonton is going to finish in first place, therefore picking Mike Riley for MOP makes common sense? Or are we selling the team short and maybe Zach Kalaros and Matt Nichols get some more consideration than they're given, assuming their team finishes in first place? I'll, uh, I'll punch a big hole in your theory there, Mike, and uh, I'll point out that uh, the Eskimos finished third place last year and Mike Riley led the league in passing yards and won MOP, so... I, I think, uh, I, I don't think it's that, I wouldn't read that much into what you're suggesting there. I think it's very feasible to still win MOP and be the third place team. So, here's the other thing. Calgary finished uh, first in the West, as I recall. Yep. But boldly by Mitchell was not nominated for MOP. Does that speak to how good the Calgary defense was last year? Oh, absolutely. I think Calgary's defense is the reason they were as good as they were, and Bo Levi Mitchell had a down year. 
do you think that maybe having your quarterback nominated for MOP is not necessarily the best uh, for your team? Is it perhaps indicts that your defense didn't live up to, to the billing? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think you can have a quarterback that plays out of this world and have a really strong defense. I think it was just the case with Calgary this year where the uh, where the defense was so strong and. Bowie by Mitchell, despite struggling a little, still had a great season. But I think uh, I think Mike Riley was the very clear choice to be the MOP last year, and go, coming into this year, I think he is as well. And uh, that is why Mike Riley would be the first guy I select to start a new franchise with. Okay, that's fair. Most outstanding Canadian, Mike. This I have a feeling this is a two horse race here between uh, Andrew Harris and Alex Singleton. Uh, does it come down to those two guys for you, or is there a third guy? Can I throw Dembski in there? Yeah, yeah, you certainly can. I just think I, I just think that Nick Dembski not on wood if Matt Nichols stays healthy is due for a big year for the Blue Bombers. I'm not saying he unseats those two, but I, I don't think that's gonna happen. But I don't think we should sleep on. Nick Dembski. I, I think that's a pretty bold statement, but, you know, I do appreciate bold statements like that. But uh, in terms of most outstanding Canadian, I mean, you if you were to say Dembski wins it, that you're saying then that he has a better season than Andrew Harris does for the Bombers? I can't see that <laughs> happening. No, uh, I'm, I'm just saying full-blown, let's have a wild card in this discussion. Oh, sure, sure. Um if it were to come down, to, if it comes down to Harrison Singleton, who gets your nod? Depends on a myriad of circumstances. Fair enough. Uh, who plays more games? Who stays healthy? Who is a value to their team? You know, if Calgary's defense plays as well as they did last year, and Singleton is a big part of that, and Harris gets a thousand thousand or comes remotely close to that. I think you may have a real interesting vote on your hand. Yeah, I'll take Alex Singleton just because, you know, he was so good in his rookie season, and then last season was absolutely incredible in his sophomore year. Uh, you can only think that he's going to uh, he, he's going to continue to get better, better here, uh, and he's going to win, but I think we're in for a great season from Andrew Harris as well. Uh, Inter- I- interesting to note quickly, Evan, now that you mentioned it, Alex Singleton is in the last year of his rookie contract, it seems. Hmm. So he may be in for a big payday at the end of this year, which maybe makes it interesting as far as, you know, what Calgary does with their roster in the future, just looking a little bit ahead. And another guy you certainly can't count out in this discussion, and he he was the third guy here that got some votes, uh, Brad Sinopoli got 11 votes. I think a thousand yard receiver, three straight years. I think certainly uh, Brad Sinopoli can work his way into discussion for most outstanding Canadian. But I think he has to do a lot. Yeah. To unsee the two that we listed. Um, this... I, I, I could certainly see Sinopoli be the Eastern Division nominee. Right. See, this, this goes back to what I'm saying earlier. Yeah. You know, no knock against Brad Sinopoli, but I do not believe that he is the second-best Canadian in the CFL. I think it should be a head-to-head between Singleton and Harris, regardless of division, but that's just me. Does Jerome Messam factor into the discussion this year with his new team with the Riders? He has to have a bounce-back year. I'm going to say yes, 
but a lot has to happen, and it starts with one of the latter of the two. I'll say this. If Jerome Massive, and I mean this in no disrespect whatsoever, if Jerome Massive is nominated, that's not good news for the Blue Bombers, that's not good news for the Stampeders. Yeah, that's fair. Because those guys will have missed a huge portion of the season. Uh, unless, unless, and it sounds like the Bombers also want to become less reliant on Andrew Harris, and hence maybe why they brought in a few more, you know, interesting wrinkles to their offense in, in Dempsey and uh, who's the other guy, Bowman, to maybe take some of the pressure off Andrew Harris. But again, I, I maintain if, if uh, Jerome Messam is nominated, that can't be good news for either Singleton or Harris. Most outstanding defensive player, uh, you get my my vote is the same as most outstanding Canadian. It's Alex Singleton. I'm expecting another big year from him. Man, I, I want to pit Duran Carter so badly. For most outstanding defensive player? Man, if he... T- let's... Let, let me paint a scenario for you. How many guys can play on both sides of the ball and can seemingly run on the football field for an entire game and not tire out and seemingly do one slightly better than the other? Yeah, not very many. Sorry, I'm still shocked here. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I'm shocked. Maybe because I still think of Deron Carter as just a wide receiver. It's certainly valid if he plays the entire year at defensive back and has an outstanding season. I don't see why he couldn't get a couple votes for most outstanding defensive player. If if I can interject just for a minute. I love your wild cards, Mike. They're great. And paint you a scenario. Deron Carter plays a lot of defensive back and gets six interceptions. Six might be a little high, but if he does six interceptions, how do you not consider him? Thank you. I have to. The guy intercepted both Eli Mitchell last year, and he seems so content on on uh, intercepting Johnny Mandel, like you said on day one at camp. Man alive! You know what? John Carter is the one player that I wish was on our team, but not on our team. Mike, I will m- mostly jokingly ask you this question. Will, okay. Deron, will Deron Carter be the first player in CFL history to win most outstanding offensive, defensive, and MOP in the same year? Oh. <laughs> I, I'm 100% joking on that. I don't see any way that happens because I think he needs to definitively play one or the other and at a really high level to have a chance at either of them. I don't see Deron Carter winning most outstanding defensive player or offensive player this year. Uh, I really think it's going to be Alex Singleton on the defensive side right. of the ball. Uh, Willie Jefferson also got a lot of votes here because he's got Charleston Hughes taking some attention off of him. Uh, yep. Solomon L. Mimium will always be in the discussion. Do you throw new bomber linebacker Adam Big Hill into this conversation? I'm a little bit hesitant too because, you know, the bombers have Bob, they have Santos Knots, they have Mo Lydiot. I, I think Chandler I think, Fenner, Anthony Gator, Chris Randall. See, uh, like, I, I think the play of, and this is no not to Adam Bate Hill. If he did the 100 tackles, 
and lead the Legion to Atwood, and as read right up there with Singleton, by all means, go ahead. But I think the work of Adam Bidhill is going to be leadership on the field, communication on the field, a little bit on the stat sheet, but the Bombers defensively are going to have to do this as a team, not just Adam Bidhill. Yeah, that's fair. So, so I think Adam Bidhill will contribute to a lot of you know, events and stats on the field even though his stat line won't necessarily reflect that. Because the Bombers because the bombers have a lot of playmakers on defense. Next question here, Mike. Uh, we kind of already talked about this, lumped it in with breakout player of the year, but who will be the comeback player of the year in 2018? Uh, I'll read you the guys who got the majority of the votes here. Uh, Zach Caleros really ran away with it uh, with 48% of the votes. J.C. Sherritt got 18% uh, missing time due to injury. I think definitely if Sherritt could come back and have a great year, I hope to see that. Uh, obviously Jonathan Jennings and then Adarius Bowman for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I believe that there's one person that is not on that list, but it didn't have a really dead year. Who's that? And I, I think he didn't have another 1,000-yard season, and that's Chris Williams. Okay, yeah, I could see I, that. I, I, I just can't for the life of me see Chris Williams have two down years in a row. The question becomes, though, Mike, can he have that bounce back here if he doesn't have a strong quarterback throwing him the ball? Every team has close to a thousand-yard receiver. That's true. That's true. You know, you, you don't necessarily need a thousand-yard receiver to be considered having a bounce back here. Granted... All of this in nine months from now when we have the great cup or whenever ten months from now or less than that. Um, I think all of this will be laughable, really, to, uh, to listen back to it and go, what were we thinking? We didn't see this that time. We didn't see that that time. Another guy that's going to be a comeback player. Well, the guy I actually would give my number one vote to here, and it depends how long it takes him to get back from injury and start the season. Hamilton Tiger Cats wide receiver Terrence Tolliver. Missed the entire 2017 season due to injury. Um, outstanding year the year before. There's so many weapons in that Tiger Cats wide receiver crew right now. Uh, like Brandon Banks, uh, Luke Tasker, Jalen Saunders. It's only going to open up room for Terrence Tolliver. Okay, I'll give you that. Uh, which 2017 CFL draft pick will have the most impact this season? Uh, for the life of me, I can't really recall who was all picked in the 2017 draft, but the, the guys that got the most votes here are uh, Tunde Adelike for the Calgary Stampeders, uh, Kwaku Boateng for the Edmonton Eskimos along the defensive line, and wide receiver Nate Bahar for the Edmonton Eskimos. Do you have a favorite in that group or, uh, or an outside dark horse? I like um, Boltang and Bahar for Edmonton, I think it is. Yeah. To me, if I can just pin this on the Blue Bombers for one minute. Sure. I need to see something from Faith Akatiti this year. Right. For a number one overall pit, he struggled last year. I, I need to see something from Faith Akatiti. Well, he didn't really get into the lineup that much last year. See, but that is another problem, right? 
that means you're not really practicing very well, right? Because the lineup is often predicated on how well you practice and other circumstances, but mostly if you're practicing well, if you're grasping the playbook well, if you're executing your plays, your play packages that you're in in practice, the coaches will more than likely uh, afford you a spot on the depth chart. But honestly, when he was in the game for a first overall pick, and I understand, you know, it's a new game, there's a lot to learn as the number one overall pick, but I just need to see something encouraging from him. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give uh, I'll give my vote here to Kwaku Boateng for the Edmonton Eskimos. They lost a lot of pieces along that defensive line this year. Uh, he had a solid performance last year, and I think he's only going to do better this year. I will say, though, as well, I'm excited to see what Nate Bahar can do for the Eskimos. Uh, Corey Watson isn't in Edmonton this year. Uh, they brought Rory Colerton in the offseason, but he uh, since then has retired from the CFL. Uh, so it's ba- it's Nate Bahar's job as right now, as of right now, at the Canadian wide receiver position. I think he's got potential, and I'm excited to see what he does with it. I can't wait to see, you know, who's going to be that number one, that number one Canadian in receiving yards. Right. You know, everybody makes it look like it might be Andrew Harris. You know, if he gets somewhere close to the thousand thousand, or you know, Brad Sinopoli, but Bahar might be that kind of that mm, guy that's ready to break out, especially given the quarterback that he's got. Which non-playoff team a season ago will have the most wins in 2018, Mike? The Ticats, the Lions, or the Alouettes? I don't think either of us are picking the Alouettes here. Uh, so the question for you then, which team do you like the most, the Ticats or the Lions? Boy, um, you know, I know a lot of people in that poll you know, voted heavily on uh, voted heavily on Hamilton, but I'll tell you what, I sure hope a lot of people aren't sleeping on uh, on uh, BC. Yeah, Hamilton got seventy percent of the votes. The Lions got twenty six here. Um, I, I think I think it's going to be Hamilton because uh, they'll they'll play some of those divisional games against the East Division and pick up a couple more wins there. The Lions have a tough West Division but I think the Lions can be just as good as team as any this year. You know, the Lions are going, they're going to go hard for it this year. Wally's final push as a head coach, the Lions are going all in on it. And I think their last year was an unusual down year for them. And we're going to see them bounce back this year. Absolutely. Another tough question for you, Mike, who's the most underrated player in the CFL? Underrated in what way? Player that doesn't get as much respect as he deserves. I need some names. Uh, I can. Do you want the names of guys who got some votes here? Sure. All right. In terms, so in terms of guys that got votes here in this media poll for most underrated player in the CFL, you've got Cleon Lang, Jeremiah Mazzoli, Terrell Sutton, Brandon Banks, Brian Burnham, Alan Michael Cash, B.J. Cunningham, Armonte Edwards, Kevin Glenn. Micah Johnson, Maurice Leggett, Antoine Pruneau. Those are guys that are listed there. Obviously, others received votes as well. But uh, from that list, do you have anyone that sticks out? Or uh, do you have anyone not on that list? I have to go with Pruneau. He had, a really, he had a really quiet year last year, uh, you know, compared to what we're used to. Um, 
He's a guy that if I was running a defense, would be a must-have on my team. Okay. Because I, I really, I really believe that he doesn't get enough respect for the small things that he does. There are things such as uh, uh, blocking and you know closing gaps on people and stuff that he does that goes really unnoticed. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna go with Terrell Sutton because this is one of the top running backs in the CFL, but plays on a team that has had a lackluster offense for the last number of years, uh, and really hasn't given them the opportunity to succeed that he needs. Um, but he's still put up strong numbers all the time. So I'll say Terrell Sutton, and actually, but actually, the guy I think is the most underrated player in the CFL uh, has to be Bomber wide receiver Darvin Adams. When, when Adams stays healthy and when he's on his game, he's top receiver in the CFL, one of the top five, I, perhaps, or top ten, I would say. But I, I always feel like he's never looked at as one of those, right? He's always looked at as a guy that's not really in that upper echelon of receivers in the CFL, and I think he absolutely deserves to be. Yeah. Bomber quarterback Matt Nettles. I'm wondering, seriously... What has to happen for Matt Nichols to be considered an upper echelon of the CFL? I never hear his name in the top three. I I, I, I feel uh, like I feel like the I feel like I'll tell you why. Uh, honestly, the Bombers were one and four two years ago. Went to him as the starter, basically with their season on the line. One would say, and I, I don't care what the Bombers come out and say, but if they don't start winning at one and four. This regime probably isn't here. He, Matt Nichols basically saved some jobs two years ago when he became a starter, carried it into last year. He's something like 22-9 and nine as a starter. He's 0-2 in the playoffs, and if that's the knock people have against him, like, I'm sorry, find me a quarterback that's like 22-10 and 10 or even, you know, 22-11 and 11, that... Does that like the guy just should get some respect? No. Yeah, and perhaps he belongs on the list of most underrated players here. Um, I'll tell you why I think he he never gets that recognition. I think it has to do with the fact that he's been in the league for a long time. The majority of his career, he was a backup in Edmonton, uh, and now all of a sudden, late after you know being in the league for so many years. Now he's started to perform really well for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think there's still a bit of that, oh, his time in Edmonton, like six years of that as a backup. I think he still gets some of that. And I think it still leads to some questions of, is Matt Nichols really a top player in the CFL? Um, or will he fall back down to, you know, where everyone's perception of him kind of was? Don't forget as well, Ryan. Matt Nichols was ahead of Mike Riley on the death chart there for a time until Matt Nichols had a devastating knee injury. People often forget that. Uh, which CFL team has the biggest home field advantage, Mike? Uh, who would you say for that one? Saskatchewan. Why? Uh, it's so noisy. It just, like, you go to a game in Winnipeg, that's great. You go to a game in Saskatchewan, it feels like you're at a college game or an NFL game. 
It's full every single game. Everybody's wearing green. In Winnipeg, you can't even get a full stadium. Give or take a few games a year, but quite frankly, don't have thousands of fans of the other team in the building. I would really, I would really like to see the Bombers turn into what they have in Saskatchewan with the sold-out stadiums. And we're not, we're less than 3,000 or so are fans of the other team. And I, I think that's coming. By all indication, Bomber season tickets are pretty close to an all-time high. They have sold almost a lot, a lot of season tickets just in the last week since Adam Baytail has been here. Momentum is on the upswing here in Winnipeg Bath as a football town, but here is the problem, Ryan. The Bombers went eleven and seven or ten and eight two years ago, lost in the playoffs. Twelve and six last year. You know, West Division semifinal at Investors Group Field loss. Two years of football, what to most fans have become basically nothing but a waste because it hasn't been proven and backed up in the playoffs. And it is so unfortunate. And I I think this is why the Bombers do not have the respect that the lights of Calgary, that the lights of Edmonton have. The Bombers have won two playoff games, Ryan. Two since 2007. Yikes. You want to get respect amongst your peers and amongst the lead? Start winning the games that actually count for something in early November. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I mean, New Mosaic is a heck of a tough place to go in and play, so... I would agree with you, Saskatchewan has the biggest how, field advantage. How you get people in the seats, Ryan, is by winning championships and winning games in November. The reason the fans in Regina could stomach uh, into year three rebuild is because what preceded this rebuild were a couple great cup game appearances and a couple great cup championship reigns. And if they would have one more if they would have counted properly. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's a good point. Uh, this Calgary Stampeders also actually finished second in this poll, uh, and I, I, I kind of agree with that just uh, based on Calgary's home record up until the end of last season. I mean, Calgary's always been a team that's just unbeatable at home, and I think uh, the atmosphere at uh, McMahon Stadium certainly has to do with it. And I was at in Calgary, Ryan, over the holiday after Calgary lost the Great Cup. And one person told me this in a shopping mall when asked when I asked about all the Stampeders. They have great seasons, but they let us down in the most important game of the season, which makes everything almost irrelevant. Yeah. And I think that is the problem with the Blue Bombers. That is why people in Regina have been able to come out in flots because the Grey Cup championships 
and the Durant and the Bade and all these guys, the Dresslers, the Chits, all those guys in building championship teams put Regina on the map and kept people in seats. Not to mention the people in Saskatchewan in general are just so passionate about football. It is going to come in Winnipeg. But Winnipeg, let me tell you this. People are scared. People are saying, oh, it's a one-off, and then they're going to let us down. You watch this year. They do what they did the last two years this year. Next year, we'll have more people in seats. The Bombers have had a product, to be honest with you, that has let a lot of people down in the last 10, 15 years, and people don't want to be a part of that. It's going to take the trust factor to get people to come back out to the stadium. Uh, moving on here, Mike, there's a couple questions left. Uh, which current head coach would you want coaching your team? So, again, put your GM hat on and hire a coach. Mm-hmm. Who are you taking? Michael Shea. Why? People would, by all accounts, run through a wall for him. I know people would say Mark Trestman, and I know that, but that was the, that was the heavy... Um, Consensus. Consensus on the poll. But let me tell you, why does the guy like Adam Hill want to come here? Why does the Darius Bowman want to come here? Why does Andrew Harris want to come here? Why does Chandler Fenner, Fenner want to come here? Why does Anthony Jader want to come here? Why does Nick Dembski want to come here? Why does Keenan LaFrance want to come here? Right. All of the above had other options. But I'll tell you what. If you have a coach that respects the lead, respects you as a player, and respects uh, your work ethic as a player and as a player's coach, they will be lining up to play for you. And that is what is happening in Winnipeg. And I have no doubt the only reason a lot of these free agents are flocking to Winnipeg, unlike in past years, is we have a coach and a general manager that know what they're doing, and they have a coach, most importantly, that everybody wants to play for. Have you heard a player in three years say a bad word about Michael Shea? Not that I can recall. Even in those bad years, Michael Shea took years for the Bombers to turn this around. He's been the coach for how long? Can you imagine if they would have fired Michael Shea after those down years? We could be talking about a whole different uh, timeline in the CFL. Absolutely. And I believe that respect is earned over time, but your head coach has a lot to do with it. Uh, Mark Tressman did get 65% of the votes. Uh, Dave Dickinson got 15. Wally Buono got 8. Uh, so I like that. I like your take on Mike O'Shea. Uh, I, I agree with the majority. Mark Tressman. Mark Tressman builds championship teams. Uh, Mark Tressman finds ways to motivate his quarterbacks to play at levels, uh, extremely high levels. Uh, Ricky Ray had one of the best seasons of his career last year. Um, and Mark Tressman came in and he led that team to a championship. I, I, I take Mark Tressman. Here, here's another thing, just a closing thought on Michael Shea. If things don't go well defensively in the first five, six weeks of the season, Michael Shea will be the defensive coordinator in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Interesting. It's time for the Blue Bombers to take the next step. A first-round playoff exit won't do uh, Mike, 
uh, second last question here, which up-and-coming coach, so a current coordinator or positional coach, uh, would you hire as a first-time head coach? So uh, coordinators or coaching staff around the league, anyone who's not a head coach right now that you think will become the next one? For me, it's crazy why this guy has not been given a chance already. Orlando Steinhauer. Yeah, he got the majority of the votes, and he would be my pick for that one yet, too. And I am surprised, to be honest with you, but Orlando Steinhauer is not the coach in Montreal. Hmm. I, I still think that Montreal is in for a lot of growing pain that are made Sherman. When you're so convinced that Josh Freeman is your starting quarterback, as was suggested at CFL Week, and he's number five on a lot yeah. of people's death charts. I think Mike Sherman could be a good coach, but I think he has a lot to learn, and I think this will be a learning year. Maybe it's an ideal situation for Montreal, right? Because they're in a rebuild. They can maybe afford a few uh, losing seasons under Sherman. I I really don't think unless things go really, really bad, but we see Mike Sherman replaced in the middle of the season. I'm just worried that there's a fine line between winning and losing games, but a couple of Mike Sherman's decisions due to inexperience might cost the Alouettes a win or two. Yeah, the other guys that got some votes here are a decent percentage of them. Devon Claybrooks um, for Calgary and... Uh... and, and quick thing about Devon Claybrooks. Any other opening but Montreal, that guy would be a head coach right now. Hmm. There was something there. He was supposed to be the guy in Montreal. Something happened there, and I don't know what it is. And then Mark Washington also got some votes there, which I, I would agree with that as well. Mike, final question in the I, I'm really surprised if you want to talk about wild card. Sure. But Kahari Jones isn't on that list. Yeah, he's been in conversation for a long time. I'm starting to question at this point whether his shot comes still. Again, it's... Uh... It's a very interesting thing. There's also that uh, offensive coordinator that used to be in, uh, I don't know if he's still there right now, but he's in Edmonton right now. Uh, his first name's Carson. Uh, he did a real good job. Uh, so the final question on the poll, and we'll come back to your talk there, uh, is will there be a crossover this season? I think we both said yes. Um, 66% of people that voted also said yes. I'll, I'll, I'll add to this question. Who do you think the crossover team will be? Um, BC. BC would cross over into the East or some combination of Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, give or take a game or two. Yeah, well, if BC is crossing over, that means someone's finishing lower than BC in the stand. Someone's finishing, what, last in the West Division. Yeah. This, this whole West Division is going to be crazy this year because I feel bad for, you know, insinuating with that, that, oh, you really think a team's going to be, you know, worse than BC out West? BC's going to be a good football team this year, too. Like, I, I could see any team finishing first, and I could see any team finishing last out West. Honestly? It would scare the heck out of me if the Bombers missed the playoffs. Could happen. Very well could happen. 
Anyways, Mike, that's the uh, that's the CFL's uh, inaugural media poll. They did it. Uh, this is the first year they've done it. Um, we went through. We discussed all of them. Was there any questions that we didn't cover that you wanted to quickly ask? Um, who to you, Ryan, is and I don't want to talk about you know coach firings and all that kind of stuff, but. I'm a little bit surprised this wasn't a question, and maybe it wasn't a question on purpose for the fear of starting a tire fire. But which coach in the had the most to lose in the CFL? As in who has the most pressure on them to succeed? Yes. Does it have to be a head coach? Yes. And the reason I say that is I know who you're going to go to. If I open it up to all coaches. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious I'd be going to Richie Hall, defensive coordinator for the Bombers, if I could open it up to all all coaches. In terms of head coach, who has the most pressure on them this year? But I'll be, I, 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 let's be fair. Wally Buono's not getting fired because they know it's his no. last year. Mike Sherman, I don't know if you'll fire him. Because he's in his first year, unless things go really bad. Yeah, but Montreal fires coaches like it's a bi-weekly thing. So I, yeah. I would say I would say Mike Sherman, because uh, if you look at it, I don't think I don't think Mike O'Shea's job is in danger. I don't think Wally Buono's is. I don't think Jason Maz is. I don't think Dave Dickinson's is. I don't think Chris Jones's job is in danger at all. Um, out east, uh, certainly not Mark Tressman. June Jones, I don't think so. And uh, Rick Campbell in Ottawa, I can't see him getting fired either. So I, and I don't necessarily think Mike Sherman either, but if I, if I had to pick one, I, I would say him just based on Montreal's track record of a revolving door. Yeah, you know what? They fired Dan Hawkins after four games or three games a couple years ago. Um, I would say Montreal, but you generally don't see coaches being fired in season. Generally, because it's such a short season, number one, and it's very tough to go on a run if you did yourself in a deep hole, see Hamilton. Anyways, Mike, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, it's been a quite a long one. Uh, again, the CFL's first ever media poll uh, just finished up. The results were just released yesterday. We did not get a chance to vote in it, but we figured it would be uh, a fun idea to go through as if we were actually voting in it. Uh, feel free to agree, disagree with uh, our answers. Let us know if you agree or disagree with them uh, on Twitter. We're at CFC on Mike FM. You can let us know there. Um, I'm interested to see what everyone else thinks in terms of, uh, you know, only so many people got to vote in this. I'm interested to see what CFL fans in general think on these topics from around the league. Just a quick note, too. Uh, this is just a general note. I heard the Piffles podcast had a, um, a opportunity to vote in this poll. So I just wanted to say uh, congratulations or commended on job well done for the CFL for embracing these podcasts that talk about the lead that aren't aren't necessarily mainstream Um, because I can say for myself and I'm pretty sure you can say this too Ryan 
when we went down to CFL week, we weren't treated like we were a podcast. We were treated just as well as anybody else in the mainstream media because of the CFL. So the CFL should really be commended for that. Absolutely. That's a great way to close this out, Mike. Um, lots more content on the way as the preseason is starting this week. So we'll be covering actual football games soon, Mike. Uh, and the CFL uh, season kicking off in under a month now, June 14th. The Eskimos at Investors Group Field facing the Bombers. Uh, lots to come. Talk about a massive opening game. Absolutely. Uh, lots to come here uh, with us on the podcast as well. Stay tuned for more content. Uh, follow us on Twitter to be in the know on all of that, all of our shows, SoundCloud and iTunes, the Canadian Football Countdown. 20 seconds, Mike. Any final thoughts? Well, I've been to that, like I said at the beginning. This is a media poll based on media. I don't think people should get all bent out of shape about it. That That's a good way to, to sum it up here, Mike. Uh, CFL preseason kicking off this weekend. Football is back, folks. It's exciting. Very exciting times ahead. That's it for this episode of the Canadian Football Countdown. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening uh, and enjoy the football. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.